This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. Today we're going to be looking at a text from the Mishnah, from Tractate Rosh Hashanah. It's Mishnah Rosh Hashanah, chapter 1, Mishnah 2. And it says, At four times of the year, the world is judged. On Pesach, about grain. On Shavuot, concerning fruits of the tree. On Rosh Hashanah, all creatures pass before God like sheep, B'nai Maron, as it is stated, he who fashions their hearts alike, who considers all their deeds. And on the festival of Sukkot, they are judged concerning water. And that is to say that we are judged about the amount of rain that we'll receive in the coming year. What I found interesting is on Sukkot, they're judged concerning water. And they give an example of the rainfall for the coming year. That's like a comment, right? Is that in the no, yeah. Mishnah so, okay. itself? No, great question. So the Mishnah okay. itself just says Uvechag, that is Sukkot. When it tells us just Chag, without, without telling us which one, that means Sukkot. Nidonin al they're judged about water. And then this translation makes that a little bit clearer for us by saying that that means that they're judged about the rainfall for the coming year. But you're right, it doesn't actually say that in the Mishnah, right? So the Mishnah just says that we're judged about water, given that we know that Sukkot is about to be the beginning of the rainy season or about to start asking for rain. I don't think it's like a crazy leap to say that probably what that is referring to is to being judged about rainfall. But the Mishnah doesn't say that. The Mishnah just says water. Water, right. Yeah. What struck me is actually, if you make a judgment about the rain, you're actually affecting all the other things that are judged. If you don't have rain until you're in our modern time, you would not have grain. Right. <laughs> you would not have fruits growing on the tree if the trees don't have enough rain. And the animals are dependent on the grain and the fruit and whatever other growing things are dependent on the rain. So it all kind of comes back to the judgment of rain. All of the other judgments are perhaps dependent on that one. Though I'll say in some ways, I wonder if like maybe all of them are dependent on the judgment of Rosh Hashanah. And like maybe this is also just my Rosh Hashanah bias coming through, right? Because I think when we read this text, right, that's the judgment that we're most likely to be familiar with is that all of our actions are judged on Rosh Hashanah and this image of God sort of examining each one of us based on our actions in the prior year. But I think there is something powerful about the fact that like that comes before the judgment of rain. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but like the way that actually like our own actions 
do affect the rain and do affect what happens in the natural world. And so, yes, like we can't make it through the year unless we get the rain that we need. And so in that way, our judgment on Rosh Hashanah is dependent on the judgment of the rain. But also the judgment of the rain is dependent on our own actions that we're judged for on Rosh Hashanah. So, so I don't know, like maybe all of those other things, right? The rain and the grain and the fruit are ultimately in large part dependent on our actions, right? They're obviously dependent right. on more than our actions as well. And it seems that besides the Rosh Hashanah one, it has to do with the harvest cycle mm -hmm. and or rituals that are performed on each of the holidays, right? Yeah, and I think that in some ways those are the same. Sukkot and Pesach and Shavuot are each connected to a particular moment in the harvest cycle. So I don't think we can like totally untie those things. Those are three different critical moments in the harvest cycle. And so I think that that's what those three are referring to. So like on Passover, we are very concerned with grain because of matzah, not eating chametz, but also the Omer starts then, right? Yeah. So that also has to do with the harvest somehow. Yeah, so it's the beginning of the barley harvest is around Pesach. And that's, this is like when I'm like, I wish I was a farmer and this would make my understanding of all of these texts better. But that's what the Omer is connected to. And that's sort of ushering in the new year's grain. And so until that first new grain has been waved in the temple and sort of like officially ushering in that new harvest, you're actually not allowed to use any of the new grain until that moment has happened. Which works well with Pesach, because you're not using new grain on yeah, Pesach. Yeah, right. I guess that's right. Or you can use grain on Pesach, right? You need to use it to make matzah. But yes, it's a grain light time. <laughs> <laughs> All those ancient celiac people were happier on yeah. Pesach, maybe. And then Shavuot, it's about bringing the first fruits to the temple. So exactly. it seems like each one of these are kind of like when things first happen, besides Rosh Hashanah, which doesn't seem to be tied to an agricultural or biological. Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. So I will say, like, if we want to connect it to the natural world, right, the rabbis imagine Rosh Hashanah as the anniversary of creation. Mm. So in that way it is, but it doesn't seem to be tied to, like, any particular part of the natural world or like thing that we rely on in the natural world in the right. same way that grain and fruit and water would be. Right. But it is interesting that like they're all right at the beginning and I'm not totally sure what to make of that. Maybe I should have looked into some commentary here, but I'm not sure whether that means that on Sukkot it's decided how much rain we're going to get in that rainy season or is it already like for the following year, right? There's something kind of striking actually, right? That maybe a little bit less so with the rain because we hope that on Sukkot, the rain hasn't actually started yet. But on Shavuot, right? We've already harvested the first fruits because we've, classically speaking, we're bringing them to the temple. So, so the fruit harvest is already in process. And so is it for that fruit harvest, right? That only on Shavuot, God is deciding how much fruit there's going to be in that harvest. Or is it already for the next year's harvest, right? That like, right. okay, as you're beginning the harvest, God is now deciding how much fruit the coming year is going to bring. Right. And the same thing with Pesach, right? As we're harvesting that new grain, is it 
that God is deciding what that grain harvest is going to look like, or is it for the following year? No, I think that's really interesting because I'm also not a farmer. I guess we should have gotten a farmer guest for this particular text. (laughs) I feel like we could often benefit from a farmer guest. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. But once you've like actually started harvesting, there's like this sense for me like, oh, a lot of the danger has passed. Like, exactly. We've gotten to this point, we're harvesting. But I do know that there are some weather patterns that can destroy something that has already come to maturation, like hail, for instance. Mm-hmm. If you get like a bad hail storm, you can like wipe out a crop that was on its way pretty well. But it does seem like everything leading up to that first harvest you would also want to like protect and have go well. Yeah, right. It seems that like things are a lot more precarious before that moment. Like once you're actually harvesting, things seem a little bit less precarious. It is very interesting timing. Yeah. Each of these things, well, specifically the grain and the fruit trees, you're like really interacting with that thing when the judgment is occurring. Yeah, and I would say in a different way, I think that's also true of Sukkot with water, right? Like, Mm -hmm. we're doing a lot of things that are connecting us back to water, right? There's, like, a sense of, like, shaking the lulav. And etrog is being sort of connected to bringing water. And in the temple, there would have been, like, pouring libations of water on Sukkot. So it's a little bit less direct, I think. But I think there is still an element of that too and i think you're preparing for the rainy season right like you're starting it's actually a little bit ironic right as the rainy season is about to begin we move outdoors into the sukkah (laughs) Um, but that's kind of like the last ditch effort (laughs) at the dry season you're really starting to prepare to actually sort of like bring things indoors and protect things from rain as the rainy season comes yeah, that's so interesting. You were talking about the lulav, shaking the lulav and etrog being a symbol of rain. And how is that a symbol of rain? Yeah, so there are like lots of commentaries and, you know, historical writing and academic writing and things like that trying to sort of make sense of the lulav and etrog. Because in the scheme of things that we do in Jewish tradition, it's like on the weirder end of the spectrum, right? It's not totally clear what that's about, right? We do it like it mentions it explicitly in the Torah, as we've talked about, but it's not totally clear like exactly what that's about. But a lot of people connected to it, right, if you even like think about the sound that a lulav makes as you shake it, huh. it kind of feels like a rain stick, right? Huh. It like has that sort of same sound, right? And you're holding these plants, right? Some of which are like actually pretty water intensive, right? They, they require a fair amount of water to grow. And they're associated with like this liturgy of like asking God to save us, right? Hoshanot. They're clearly like somehow connected to the needs that we have, right? They're not, you know, often with with my religious school students, we divide tefillot into like, please, thank you, sorry, and wow. And it seems that the lulav and etrog, especially when we tie them in with Hoshanot, which is when we process around the sanctuary while holding them, right, are in this, like, please space, right? right. Like, we're asking for something with the Lulav and Etrog, and our liturgy is not always explicit about what that is, right? On Shemini Atzeret, it becomes really explicit when we ask for rain. But it seems like rain is probably a piece of what that's about. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of the sound of the Lulav before. But yeah, it does sound like heavy rain, as we experienced last week. 
<laughs> we did. We did. It was wet and it was loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess just coming back to what I was thinking about at the beginning of the episode, it's like it all depends on the water, right? All the other judgments depend on the water. And that does seem to be reflected in our liturgy today, even, even as we're kind of divorced from our agriculture and divorced from our weather. It's stayed in there. Yeah. And actually, just this past week, right, which like felt a little bit ironic, given the weather that we were getting, right, we, sh- we shifted in the Amidah from saying Veten Bracha, right, asking God for a blessing on the earth to asking right? Giving rain and dew for a blessing, right? We're now in the season outside of the land of Israel where we're asking for rain in the land of Israel. They've been doing it for longer than we have. They start earlier. Mm. But it felt a little bit ironic. <laughs> very, very heavy rain and flooding, actually, right? To yeah. be asking for rain of blessing. But I think that actually this judgment and also thinking about what it is to ask for rain and do that's a source of blessing, right? As opposed to, right, we don't just ask for rain, right? We ask that the rain should be for blessing. Is that, like, it's not just the quantity that matters. How many inches of rain are we going to get this year? But what kind of rain are we going to get, right? Is going to come down in such quantities that it's causing runoff problems um, and it's causing flooding you know, is it going to come during the right times, during the seasons when the earth actually needs it? Or is it going to come in more destructive ways? Yeah. So what what is our takeaway, do you think, from our tradition having ritualized these like days of judgment for grains or for fruit trees or for rain? Is there something that we can take into our modern lives. I mean, we're, we're still doing the prayers for rain in the synagogue, but we, I feel like we've kind of lost the connection with the grain and the fruit trees, right? Yeah. I really appreciate this as a, as a periodic reminder of the precariousness of our world and the things that we need and the ways that we're dependent. And, you know, we are resilient and nature is resilient, but I think there is something powerful about like a few times a year, right? Stopping to pause and say, actually, we really hope that we're going to have enough grain (laughs) this year, right? We really hope that we're going to have enough fruit this year. And I think maybe in some ways we also are more attuned to water because of the way that modern agriculture (laughs) has, I think, sometimes made food systems feel more secure. But, you know, especially here with forest fires (laughs) and things like that, right? Like we're really aware of the need for water and we understand what it is to be in drought, I think, more than we understand what it is to be in famine. But I think there is something powerful about actually doing it more than once a year, right? I think we I think we do maybe think about it when we start saying the prayer for rain and like to give us the benefit of the doubt, right? Maybe we do it again in the spring as we're transitioning into saying the prayer for dew and transitioning out of rain. But I like the idea of like actually having a few other touch points during the year where we think about actually like having a moment of intention of hoping that this be a good year in terms of the yield of the earth and the way that it supports human life and animal life. Yeah, let's work on those rituals. Amen. <laughs> Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. 
This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.